Welcome to Potter Revisited, episode 54. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter 17 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Cat, Rat, and Dog. Or, as we like to call it, Accusatory Whiplash. Reading this chapter reminded me how much I actually really like this chapter. It's just a lot of like really great build-up to, to stuff. It, yeah, it's it's so little, like, it's such a short period of time. It feels like it all happens in, like, a period of five to seven minutes. It's really what it feels like. Yeah, a lot of plot dumping and stuff. But yeah, a lot of things are revealed in this chapter, and it's just kind of really fun to read again. And I definitely think as a kid, I, like, this was, like, crazy to read. Yeah, it's a journey. So, obviously, at the end of the last chapter, Beck was allegedly executed and the tree are kind of still like mourning that and i mean he was executed it's not alleged he's dead in this timeline i guess yeah i guess if it's separate timelines i mean who who knows it definitely happened he's dead right now we've said that time travel is weird in the harry potter universe this is the time between them saving him and his head being chopped off until they travel back in time it hasn't happened yet Buckbeak is dead not alleged <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so the trio are kind of, like, in shock about this, and we talked all about corruption and kind of taking off the rose-tinted glasses you have as a kid last chapter, so Harry's first uh, instinct is just to go to Hagrid, which I thought was, like, really sweet. Hermione's still a bit, like, teary and stuff, but Ron's, like, you know, kind of the worst reason, like, no, we'll get him in trouble if we go back, but not Harry's not even really thinking about anything else. He's just, like, Buckbeak was executed, I need to see Hagrid. Like, Hagrid needs me. Yeah. Which I think is, like, what you do when, like, you find out something that's terrible's happened to a friend. You're, like, instinctively, like, I need to go to my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Harry doesn't think about the consequences first. He just thinks about the root emotional motivation. But they're uh, trying to get back to the castle, but Scabbers will, uh, you know, just not cooperate <laughs> and is trying to escape and uh which is funny is that uh they're all under the cloak so i can imagine this is like really kind of like crazy because they're all worried that fudge and dumbledore are going to come back like any minute and so they're all under the cloak and ron's trying to like keep scabbers in and obviously he needs to go out from under the cloak to like grab scabbers and crookshanks just happens to be there it's the one time Hermione's not happy to uh, see Crookshank. She's telling him to go away. Yeah, not the time, not the place. It all kind of like goes a bit more um, awry. Yeah, it goes awry when um, this big beast of a dog appears out of the darkness. And um, it basically like knocks Harry over. And Ron, uh, when it goes to attack again, Ron instinctively pushes Harry out of the dog's way. Which I think this really chapter really shows like what kind of a uh, friend Ron is because this definitely is done a lot differently in the film and I have a point about that later. But like we talk about instincts as like friends, Harry's instincts to go to Hagrid when Hagrid's you know hurting, Ron's instinct to protect Harry. Yeah, I uh, I find that it's definitely a issue. I mean, it's definitely Ron acting as a friend and the instinct to be a good friend. But I wonder if it's also a little bit the manipulation of the horror crooks. Like, it's trying to defend itself inside its casing. Ooh. So I wonder if the horror crooks is manipulating the people around Harry to protect him above themselves, even sort of now when they're young and when they don't know Harry's the end-all be-all only way to defeat the Dark Lord yet. That's interesting. Like, I wonder what to what extent that manipulation is involved. Yeah, it is hard because... They're all Gryffindors, so Ron's instinct as a Gryffindor, you know, is to do stuff like that. But I definitely like the idea of looking at Harry as a Horcrux, and we've talked a lot about in certain 
dangerous scenarios to get itself into. Like what part of the Horcrux is trying to protect itself and what part's actually just, you know, Harry doing stuff. Yeah. Ron, um, you know, gets basically, I guess his arm gets bitten by the dog and the dog kind of like drags him towards the Whomping Willow. And I forgot how disturbing it was when they describe uh, Ron breaking his leg. Yeah, ow, ow. Like, I can almost hear the snap in my in my head, and it's very, uh, yep. I don't like it. But, you know, like, Ron tried his best to, like, you know, stay in. And I'm like, that moment after Ron's taken, I was like, can you imagine, like, them running up to the school being like, oh, my God, Professor, you gotta go quick. A dog stole her friend and tried to under the Whomping Willow. Yeah, that's, uh... I mean, it's hard to explain, but also I feel like there's used to so many ridiculous shenanigans at Hogwarts at this point yeah. that it's kind of just like, oh, well, same thing again. Of course, there's a mutant dog after your cat who's after, like, of course. And what did the unicorn say? Like, My very interaction with Hermione after this happens, Hermione's like, we need to go get help. And Harry's like, no, that thing's big enough to eat him. Yeah. <laughs> nope. Harry's just like, no, we'll, we'll just go after the dog. So they did the Gryffindor thing, which is, you know, not to go get help, despite Hermione kind of freaking out, which definitely kind of shows Hermione under pressure is, uh, you know, doesn't really keep her head. She's like dancing on the spot, freaking out, being like, we need to get help. And Harry's just like, no, let's go. I feel like they don't often consider splitting up as a valid option. Like Harry could go after Ron because he is good at spells in the heat of the moment and Hermione can go get help because she's more trustworthy and the teachers are more likely to like believe her that it's a serious situation and she probably explains herself better. I also feel like Hermione never splits up because she feels like we'll die without her which at this point could be true. Yeah she's like if I go somewhere these two even if they beat up the Dark Lord or whatever the actual evil is they're gonna like stumble into traffic because idiots. It's very interesting we see kind of like the first instance of the Whomping Willow that can like freeze and that Crookshank's nose. And they're like, what is this cat doing? Like, This cat is really smart. It very much reminds me of when your parents were trying to train your family dog to ring a bell at the back door. Yeah. And it wasn't sticking. But your cat, Sirius, figured it out. And even though he was supposed to be an indoor cat, he sat at the back door pawing at that little bell you hung there that you did not intentionally teach him to do. And like... It's that level of, like, clever, sneaky cat. Cats are usually very hard to train because they don't like actually being trained, but they do pick things up very quickly. They pick up the things you don't want them to pick up. Yeah. So obviously they go into this hole under the Whomping Willow, which is, you know, crazy <laughs> to think about. But... Mysterious, long tunnel underneath, not sure where it's going. Again, nobody knows where they are. Not necessarily the best, safest plan ever, but... You know. you know, but they're kind of like running on adrenaline here because all they think is just like Ron got taken by this dog monster thing and it could eat him. He was He's hurt. And Harry's just kind of like, we don't have time to wait to find a professor. Like, we got to go save Ron right now. Yeah. But they're just following Crookshanks into this tunnel. Like, what could go wrong? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing's ever gone wrong in such a circumstance. No, no. Yeah, but the a tunnel eventually opens up into like house and um they're seeing things that are like broken and like stains and like things that are like chewed up and stuff so harry kind of says like ghosts didn't do this it's a kind of foreshadowing yeah because hermione realizes they're in the shrieking shack and it's such a gasp moment the way it's written in the book it's just like oh boarded up windows old spooky house not that far from hogsmeade <gasps> dun 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 it's the shrieking shack like it's such a big 
Like they built up this location as being so, oh no, forbidden and off limits and dangerous and spooky. And now they're inside and it's such a good, like, they really build up the hype enough. And then you sort of forget about it when all this action is happening. And then when you realize that it's such a good, like, like punch of next level frightening or next level of like seriousness. Yeah, I love all the reveals in this chapter. They're all like so good. I feel like I can kind of remember reading this chapter as a kid and just kind of like, this is like a really big build up. And we're, we're just kind of like stuck there reading like, oh my God, they're in the Shrieking Shack. Oh my God, this happened. They're not allowed to be there. They're not supposed to be anywhere, but in their beds right now. But nonetheless, they're definitely not allowed in the Shrieking Shack. I was wondering, because like they have this tunnel that goes to the Shrieking Shack. And we know that the, the Whomping Willow was planted because of Lupin. So that the Shrieking Shack was probably repurposed for him. But like, was it made was the shrinking shack and like the tunnel made just for lupin or was it already there and they kind of like repurposed it as like a way for lupin to be away from the school when he transformed i feel like it probably was already built there just because like architecturally it sounds like a house and i don't think they'd build lupin a full house with like staircases and multiple floors just to wolf out like you think it would be one room with some chains or something oh god i mean right like he's just wolfing out like maybe a tv if he likes to watch tv while he's a wolf just like old american a werewolf in london and like the original wolfman on vhs i don't know (laughs) but like it definitely there's too many floors and too many rooms for it to have been built just for one kid who's turning into a wolf once a month yeah it's just interesting and then someone must have had, built, had to build the tunnel from the Shrieking Shack to Hogwarts. Yeah, I mean, mole people. <laughs> they come into the room and they see Ron. And Ron is, like, you know, obviously in pain. His leg's broken. Don't know how he's, like, even, like, communicating at this point. He must be in so much pain. And they're like, where's the dog? Where's the dog? And this reveal where they describe he, a man, they see like, there's no dog. There's a man in his place. And the way they describe like how he looks, like his hair, his skin, like stretched over his skull. And then the last line is like, it's serious black. That it's like, like I would just remember like getting chills reading this. And like, I, it's still there. Like just the reveal of the dog to serious black is just amazing. And like him trying to even say the name, like Ron can't even get it out. He's trying. He's like, it's it's not it's not a dog. It's like it it builds the suspense so well. Yeah, it, it's just like amazing. Because I feel like the whole book's been leading up to us actually meeting Sirius Black in the flesh with Harry, and it, this is it's finally happened. We just heard all these stories about Sirius Black in the passing and the things he's done, but we haven't actually like interacted with him yet. Yeah. We, we, we've like heard the legends. We've seen like the repercussions of his actions. We haven't actually seen his actions occur. It's big serious. One of the things that kind of like drives me nuts is serious black friggin' being vague and a mysterious for no reason in this situation because to me this is a high pressure situation a lot of things could go very wrong and like there's a lot of explaining that needs to be done preferably a lot of like talking people down from their states of maybe i might have to murder this man and he's just like vague he's like "Mm, yes i didn't He's like, he doesn't say the right things. He does not de-escalate the situation. He escalates it by intentionally being vague and being like, you know, maybe I did kill your parents. And like, I understand that Harry, that like Sirius feels guilt for his kind of role in the death of Lillian James, but this is just like not the time for that. Like, 
he's he's almost acting guilty. He's like playing the part of having done it. You know, he's like only one person's gonna die tonight, and like obviously everyone's like, oh shit, he means Harry, and he could say so many things to deescalate the situation. Like, hey, I didn't kill your parents. I can prove it, and I'm certainly not gonna kill any of you. I'm gonna talk while you point your wands at me and explain myself, okay? Yeah, if Lupin had not cho- shown up, Sirius was, like, not, like, you know. He was a goner because he has no communication skills and no ability to de-escalate. And it's like he didn't want to. It's like part of him is still that, like, troublesome bad boy at school. And he's like, I'm going to stay mysterious. I'm going to be vague. I'm going to be so cool. I think it's also, like, he's not socialized at all. He's been arrested and, like, basically, like, in his own head for 12 years and I think they note in the book that, like, his voice is very, like, raspy and, like, barely there because he, he probably hasn't spoken in so long. And it's kind of like, if you're, like, so isolated for that long, he doesn't know how to, like, interact with people. Like, that's something you'd have to relearn. But you'd think it would be the opposite of, like, beating around the bush and he would just get to the point quicker. Like, this is the necessary information, social skills aside. Oh, no, I'm not going to kill you. Someone else killed your parents. I'm going to kill that guy. I don't think he, Sirius hasn't really done any great planning. Like, look at the ways he's tried to get Peter this year, you know, breaking into the castle, breaking into the castle again with a knife over Ron's bed. Like, he's definitely, like, kind of, like, propelled by vengeance. So he's not really thinking about, like, oh, these kids who I'm terrified right now and, like, have no idea what's going on. He's just thinking, I got to get that rat here so I can kill it. (laughs) Yeah. And it, yeah, if Lupin had not come when he did it, it was not it was not a good look. Sirius would have been a goner. And like he got so far from just being like able to survive on his own in the wilderness. The fact that the thing that would have tripped him up and ruined it all is just inability to effectively communicate basic essential pieces of information. It would have been kind of embarrassing. So Sirius mentions something about um, Harry's parents and Harry is just like, it's like a switch on him. He's like, he wanted to have his wand to kill because he's basically just like, you can't talk about my parents because as far as Harry knows, like they're the reason he has no parents is- He's like, yeah, don't talk shit about them. You killed them, jerk. Yeah. Don't even say their names, you know? He's just so, again, if things had been explained or if the situation had be de- been de-escalated, but alas, it was not. I think it's interesting that Harry hears a voice in his head when he's really angry at Sirius saying, do it now, like encouraging him to kill Sirius. And I wonder if that's just the voice of Harry being angry or if that's a little piece of Voldemort that always seems to want to push Harry to go over the edge and like do dark things. Yeah, I had the same, the same point, I think, a bit further down. But it's like everyone has like an inner voice, but it seems just kind of like, because we know Harry's a horcrux, that like, what part of it is his own like... His own mind and what is that piece of horcrux whispering darkness into him. Yeah, his own will. Yeah, because we know that when they wore the horcrux uh, necklace that they all kind of had dark thoughts. So it could be the horcrux kind of being like wanting to fulfill all his like dark desires. And I mean, it's hard not to kind of want to kill Sirius in that moment when he's like, I'm not denying that I killed Lily and James. No, no, I won't deny that. And you're like, no, this is the time to deny it. Explain why you feel bad about it regardless later, but say, no, no, I didn't kill them now because you're. Yeah. And he didn't have Lupin kind of like, you know, guiding the conversation. I don't think he could have done it because like, definitely not in his right mind. Yeah, I, I, uh love that Harry just punches him. I forget how much punching is in this book, and I feel like it's probably really gonna catch 
a lot of wizards off guard, especially pure blood wizards who probably aren't used to like that kind of confrontation. Are, they're probably so caught off guard by being punched. They're like, wait, what? <laughs> How dare you? Yeah, like Draco was when Hermione slapped him. I had one more point where before this, before Harry um, attacks uh, Black, uh, Ron, um, they don't have any wands right now, but Ron uh, stands up with his broken leg and kind of stands behind beside Harry and it's like says to this supposed murderer, if you want to kill Harry, you have to kill us too. And it's obvious, this is a Ron line that made it to the movies, but instead it's given to Hermione. And I feel like it's such a Ron line, not only because Ron's so fiercely loyal, but the fact that he's like injured and he pulls himself up to like defy. On a broken and like a noticeably broken leg, not like a little. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It totally should have. And, and Hermione's too scared to say anything because obviously it's murder. But like this is such like a Ron line of defiance and it should have stayed that way in the movie. He's such a Ron has so few like he does a lot of important things but he has so few moments where like his impact is so like dramatic and notable and something like this is like an essential defining moment of the character kind of like regardless of the pain he's in regardless of what he's just been through he means it he's not just saying that he really means you will have to kill him to kill Harry and like to take that away from him in the film is like another grotesque disservice to the character. And again, a disservice to Hermione, who is really wonderful in a bunch of other ways. And you sort of lose track of those ways and devalue all of her actual core canon attributes when she's just all the good things. Yeah, yeah. It kind of blurs the lines between Hermione and Ron, which is dumb. But yeah, we'll talk more about that when we watch the, when we watch the movie at the end of uh, when we finish all this. But I just like hearing that, seeing that line again, just kind of like I can see it in the movie and I'm like, it's just not right. It's just such a Ron line to its core. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but this is when, when Sirius is like, you know, oh, only one will die tonight and he's being just like super vague and sketchy. <laughs> so dramatic like oh we're like what if they just killed him like i mean i know they don't know the killing curse yet but like they could just bludgeon him to death with like the chair leg or whatever yeah that's what i think harry was kind of like when harry so harry lunges at black which we were talking about and he doesn't even think about magic or anything so he doesn't have a wand he's just like you know he's just so angry at this guy from bringing up his parents and just being you know, a murderer, that he's just like, I don't even care about my life. And everyone who's been trying to protect him from Sirius Black, he just like lunges at him and like trying to like choke him and stuff. It doesn't matter. I think Harry describes it being like, he doesn't even think that, you know, he's 13. This guy is a full grown adult. He doesn't have a wand. He's just like, you know, lunges at him. Yeah. He's just going for it. I mean, like, what if Ron did yield how you defeat a fully grown mountain troll and just like yeeted a stick up? Black's nose through his brain. Like, they could just kill him in a weird muggle way. He could still be killed. He really needs to stop playing around. They did kind of, like, beat him up because, um, uh, I think they get their wands back because, like, Hermione, like, like, Black tries to, like, I guess he grabs Harry out of the throat and is, like, kind of choking him to, like, get free. But then Hermione, I think, like, kicks him in the face or something. And then Ron, like, jump, like, basically, like, falls down and, like, tries to like get the wands out of his hand even though Ron can't really do anything because his leg's broken yeah and so it's, it's like this really weird kind of like fight where they're all teaming up against Black and they do end up getting like a 
O'Hara gets his wand back at least. And then that's the moment where he's kind of like pointing it at Sirius and being kind of like, like, I need to do it. I need, I need to kill him. Even though he doesn't even know how to kill the wands. I have no idea what he was going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What is he going to do? Alohomora him? Like. Light him on fire? I don't know. I was trying to think of like spells. He doesn't know fire yet. I don't. Hermione could light him on fire. A kind of crazy Gryffindor thing where like you're not really thinking of a. Uh... A plan here. I'd love it if Harry was a little bit more logic-based, and anytime he wanted to murder someone, he handed his wand to Hermione, like, you probably know how to kill someone, right? (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, he really doesn't. He doesn't he doesn't know a lot of like a lot of spells as is. Hermione's probably read a thing or two. She probably could kill Sirius. And I would just love that moment. In the heat of it, he's really angry, he's got his wand out and he's like, You don't know what you have coming. Show him, Hermione. <laughs> Before when Harry's pointing the wand at Sirius and is like, you know, debating about killing him somehow. Uh, Crookshanks like kind of sits on top of Sirius by like the wand. So Sir- Crookshanks has a very strong attachment to Sirius. So I'm wondering if it's like, a normal cat just likes a person or is it like a bit more than that because obviously they can they can kind of communicate when Sirius is in, in its animagus form but yeah Crookshanks seems very attached to uh Sirius I mean I bet Sirius is nice to Crookshanks so I feel like they probably met Crookshanks saw a dog and was like oh it wants to eat me and the dog didn't try to eat Crookshanks and then Crookshanks was like, okay, cool. And then like maybe Sirius like caught a fish and he shared it with Crookshanks. Crookshanks like, oh, this guy's pretty okay. Like he shares food with me. I wonder if like animals can sense when like, and people in their animagus forms aren't actually animals. Like I feel like there must be something about that. Maybe. They probably smell differently, honestly. Yeah, because they're not actually animals. They're just, it's like magic. Like, if I showed up at home dressed up like someone else, my dog would probably still know it's me because I still smell like myself. I feel like, so they probably smell like, oh, this is a human. It's a weird looking human. He had to trust Sirius enough to know that Sirius wasn't wasn't a dog. And also, like, Sirius was able to communicate with Crookshanks being like, I'm trying to, you know, kill this rat that's also not an real rat. And Crookshanks decides to, you know, help him out. So there must be something there. I mean, for sure he must have... I mean, I think Crookshanks was always super suspicious of the rat. Mm-hmm. Well, he's he knew that there, there's an imposter among us. <laughs> Maybe Sirius Black is just a cat person. Maybe cats just love him in general. And we don't have any other cats to know. But he's like, cats notoriously love him. And we'll never know that because we don't see him interacting with other cats. Yeah, but Harry's, you know, debating even killing Crookshanks because he's like, you know what? It's in league with Sirius, so it's evil. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna kill that cat. <laughs> and it's so funny. Harry's just thoughts are kind of like racing at this point. He's just like not really, everything's adrenaline right now. But before anything could happen, Lupin comes in and he takes Harry's wand with the spell Yarmus, and he's like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, your first thought is like, oh, Lupin, and it's like relief, supervision, a good adult. There's so few good adults. He's the good adult. He's arrived, protection, safety. And then all of a sudden... Lupin comes in, he takes Harry's wand, and he's like, they're all telling him, like, all these things are happening. And then he, Lupin then goes, and they kind of, he kind of has this weird con- one-sided conversation with Sirius. And then all of a sudden, they hug, and it's described like brothers, like old friends. And I feel like this betrayal hit so hard reading it as a kid, because Lupin is probably, like, one of, like, the best adults in the book, like, this book. Like, Lupin, he's, like, we've learned so much about him. He's such, like, a great mentor to Harry. And I feel like this betrayal would hit so hard because it's like just a, it's like a twist for thinking that like Lupin's this good guy, but actually he was evil this whole time. Yeah, it's very it's destabilizing. 
like he's such a like, OK, he's the good guy. He's the pure light. That's the first adult that you don't really need to question the morality of or like the values of or like what his intentions are. And then you're like, wait, what? Yeah, it's kind of like the opposite of like uh, the first book where we thought we, we thought Snape is evil, but like that's because he was acting evil. But then like Lupin acts good the whole book and then you think he's evil. It's like it's a twist flipping it. Yeah. And, we're, and you're just like. The material that the trio have is kind of like what you feel when you read the book, like being like, we trusted you. Like, yeah, but uh, the conversation that uh, I just want to jump into the conversation that Lupin and Sirius have. Basically, Sirius doesn't really say much, but I feel like it shows how deep their friendship is because they're not they're kind of able to read each other's body language. Sirius barely says anything to Lupin. Lupin just kind of asks these questions to appease his own mind because he's kind of figuring out what happened wasn't like what he thought happened wasn't what happened and like yeah they barely talk Lupin asks like three questions to Sirius and then he confirms it and he's just like okay and like they're back to being buddies yeah I guess like he probably had started putting things together and had some assumptions and he just needed to like clarify if one or two of his like hypothesis. he's like did you not do the thing Mm -hmm. did he do the thing Mm mm-hmm do you want to go get fries later? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> we can order pizza. Mm. I think also knowing someone so well, you can kind of like read their faces too. And I feel like Lupin's kind of avoided it because he always thought Sirius was evil, but now he kind of has like uh, evidence to back up that maybe things weren't what he thought they were. Yeah. And it's much nicer to have like, it's probably nice to confirm what you used to think about him. Like- yeah, I feel like that's why he went in for that hug and it's like very dramatic in the movie. But I feel like for Lupin, like it must have been so hard to feel like you knew someone and then just like your entire... Betrayed you in such a horrendous way. Yeah. Your entire thoughts were apparently wrong and just like you're the faith you had in like, your friend and just like friendships and stuff. And then to find out that he was right about Sirius the whole time. And it was just like a big mistake. Like that must have to be so relieving to know that your friend didn't betray you and like your faith in friendships and just like the bond you shared. Everything's like what it, you thought it was. Lupin's really been through it. <laughs> Honestly, they all in the, these few pages, they all go through so much. It's kind of like, accusatory whiplash like first they're like oh crookshanks is evil no wait sirius is evil no wait lupin is evil too no wait lupin's not evil he's wait they're pointing out ron is is ron evil no it's the rat the rat's evil but is sirius evil it's like physically exhausting and like strenuous and all over the place yeah a lot is like said in this chapter and it's a lot of just like kind of like basically jumbling up what your perception has been to what it could be and like yeah so like Sirius is evil but wait he's he might not be evil and like wait Lupin could be evil but is he evil and like it's all so confusing and I definitely feel like the trio like they're all kind of like what the heck is happening yeah they just like it's so many changes and circumstances so quickly. I do like that uh, their portrayal of Lu- uh, what appears to be from Lupin runs really deep at the trio because they all really like him. And uh, Hermione outs him quite angrily for being a werewolf because she, she pointed like, like, I covered for you. Hermione was very offended. She's like, I've, I've covered for you. I didn't tell anyone anything I learned, but you're a werewolf. And so <laughs> like it was the biggest thing she could do. Hermione really hates to be wrong. Yeah. And I feel like she was right that he was a werewolf. But in that moment, thinking he's evil, she was wrong to trust him despite him being a werewolf. And I think that's it, it hurts her to be betrayed, but it also hurts her to think she made the wrong choice. I do like how Lupin talks to her, too. He's like, oh, you're wrong out of two out of three, Hermione. Not up to your usual standard. Yeah. He, honestly, Lupin is so effective at 
actually reducing the tension and de-escalating the situation in all the ways that Sirius could not. Like he comes and he's like, he's like, look, let's all calm down for a minute, putting the wands down. I'm not evil. He's not evil. We don't want to kill you. I'm on your side. And like, just putting the wands down is such a huge step in the progress of that situation. And like, he's being very casual in such a way, like his tone, like being like that with Hermione, almost picking up the rapport they already have, does a great job of making them feel like it's a more familiar situation rather than this complete, unique, weird situation that no one has ever been in before. It's just like, so thorough, so well done. And honestly, thank goodness for Remus Lupin. And he drops a lot of information in this chapter. So he reveals not only that he was Mooney and that he created the Moira's map, that he's a werewolf, but he's kind of like also reveals some things about Peter Pettigrew. He's like this little rat. Yeah. So the end of the chapter, he when he's describing how he got there, he was checking the map because he knows those, that trio and he's like, oh, they're going to sneak out and see Hagrid. Yep. So he's just keeping an eye on them. But then he sees that Peter Pettigrew had joined them from Hagrid's house. But the way they describe it is also really great as another kind of like third reveal from this chapter. So many reveals being like another person joined you. And they're like, no, there was only three of us. And like, nope, a fourth person joined you. They don't reveal who it was until the end. And like he can afford to take these little literary and dramatic moments now that he's prevented them from killing each other instantaneously, you know? Points at Ron. And then Ron's like, not me. But they're like, like that rat. Let me see it. And then the end of the chapter off with like, this isn't a rat. It's Peter Pettigrew. It was Peter the whole time. Yeah. So basically this whole chapter was just kind of like twisting what we thought we knew and what we thought we knew we didn't know and revealing the mysterious Peter Pettigrew. It's honestly... Like, they probably didn't have to, like, put so much in so few pages. Like, I feel like they could have, like, had this be two scenes rather than, like, one if they really wanted to. So you get more, like, I feel like the tension of, oh, wow, it's Sirius Black went away really quick. Yeah, I feel like originally I thought the chapter ended with the Sirius reveal. But it ends with the Peter reveal instead. Yeah, it just feels kind of like it's unsatisfying almost in a way because so much happens in such a short amount of time and it just kind of ends like that. And you're like, oh, OK, great. So we just like you, 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 no, not you, not you. OK, him. And that's the whole chapter. And I just like it doesn't feel like we covered ground. It doesn't feel I don't know. It, I find it a little underwhelmed. Like it's too fast paced to not give us more sort of progress towards because like to me this is the climax like we know in primary school when you have to draw like a hill that represents the plot of a book and it's like beginning climax is the top of the hill this to me this chapter is like the climax this is the big face-off kind of or at least the first one yeah it's a very fast-paced chapter but i think the next chapter kind of more leads into the climax where we're not we're not just being told that this is peter Pettigrew and not scabbers but we actually see it and then we actually get more information about Harry's parents and how it all kind of went down. A lot more bone chilling. But yeah, it definitely was a lot of like punches in one in one chapter. I feel like the big one of the bigger twists was um, when we find out that like it was Quirrell, not Snape in book one. But like that was also 
just one reveal, but I feel like three reveals in one chapter is it's it's a bit much. Yeah, it's just like 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 the whiplash is kind of real. Like it, it kind of it makes me sore almost. Like I want to have time to like discover. Oh, interesting. Crookshanks is in on this situation. I wouldn't have expected that from like Hermione's cat. And then like oh my goodness, Sirius Black is there. Like I didn't get enough time to really think about or like consider each sort of conclusion that they came to before they jump to the next conclusion. I feel it's definitely trying to pace, do the pace of like what Harry, Ron and Hermione are going through because they're all like, it's a high, highly tense situation. They're all running on adrenaline. Everything's happening really quick. So I feel like the whiplash you kind of get from all these like things being dropped is like kind of how they're feeling with like the crazy scenario they've kind of found themselves in because they just went there to rescue Ron who was dragged up by an animal and all of a sudden the animal's serious black and all of a sudden Lupin might be bad and all of a sudden Scabbers it's not Scabbers but Peter Pettigrew yeah you know what it reminds me of more than anything in Clue the movie at the end when they try and guess who it is regardless of which ending and Tim Curry says okay, it was this person and you all run to one room and he's like, Miss White was in this room and then he runs to the next room and he's like, well, Miss Scarlet was in this room and then he runs to the room with the candlestick and he's like, this is where the candlestick and he like, they run from place to place back and forth like frantic crazy people <laughs> to get to the conclusions and I'm like, that's how it feels. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's a lot going on but I feel like all the reveals were really shocking and really great and they still kind of hold up. Like, I feel like when you read things as a kid, Everything feels kind of shocking and kind of crazy. But now that we're older and we, you love your true crime, I love mystery novels, like this still kind of holds up even though we're a lot older and we've probably read better mysteries these days. But I do love the mystery element. I just wish that we had like evidence leading to each of these suspects rather than just someone telling us it was him. Never mind, it was him. Actually, it was both of them. Actually, neither. Like, why? Show me the fingerprints. Show me the footprints on the map. Show me something. She just likes having evidence. <laughs> but yeah, do you have any uh, other remarks about this chapter before we wrap up? My my take on this chapter is I'm tired. I'm glad Lupin's a good guy. We still don't really know how we feel about the cat at this point, right? Like, based on the whiplash, the cat could be in it with... <laughs> we don't know. Basically, we, we end this chapter not really... Yeah, we don't really know who's good and who's bad by the end of this chapter. We just have people telling us things and we're like, but what's the truth? Yeah, because if I was Lupin and I was a bad guy, I'd be saying the same things that Lupin's saying now as a good guy. It's kind of a mystery. We don't really know where are we sh- who we should be rooting for. I know who I'm rooting for. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> for those w- listening, I made a face and she knew I was thinking about Severus Snape and that's why she made a gross noise. No, I didn't even look at your face. I, I don't have the zoom up, but I was just kind of like, I just know. I just know. <laughs> and my thoughts are just kind of like, I love just kind of, like, the chapter is quick, but I love all the kind of like how they reveal each thing and we get a lot of information in this chapter as well and I just think Lupin's just a really great voice of reason because Sirius does not really do himself any favors here but he's obviously you know not really thinking no that is kind of a Gryffindor trait but uh Lupin is a really great voice of reason and de-escalates everything and you know I just feel like Ron's the MVP at this chapter because he's going through everything including that fight they had with Black with the broken leg. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Ron needs medical attention. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pottery Visited. This has been a disaster, bro. <laughs> we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 18 of Prisoner of Azkaban, Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs. 
If you have any questions or theories or things you want to share with us, you can email us at potterevisitedpodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us online at Pottery Visited and we'll be back. Bye. Thank you.